Good morning. This is Belize from UCLA Radio, and you're listening to The Menu, a radio show about food culture and everything food in Los Angeles. Before we start our show today, I would like to introduce you to two people. First off, my new intern, Breezy. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Um, my name's Breezy. I'm Belize's new intern. and Yeah. Um, Nice to meet you, Breezy. Um, One question that we ask everyone, what's your favorite food? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, My default is always like rice and beans. (laughs) I'm super Mexican, but um, I don't know. I think my, I always say my favorite type of food is any and all Asian food, so... That's yeah. That's pretty valid. Also, I'm a hu- also a huge fan of rice and beans. So you're not <laughs> you're not alone in that. Um, and our other guest here with us today is Selena from Swipe Out Hunger UCLA. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hi, my name is Selena. Um, I'm a co-president of Swipe Out Hunger, and I'm really excited to be on here to talk about food insecurity. Great. Thank you so much. Before we get into our discussion, um, this week, last week, I interviewed Celia from Food Forward, and I first want to, I first want us to listen to that conversation so so that we can get a jump start on our discussion about food waste, food insecurity, and food justice. Um, which is an important topic for me because um, I think that when you're talking about food, whether it's your new favorite restaurant or, you know, um, whether you're talking to chefs or any type of conversation you have about food, you have to consider um, the, the environmental and sociological aspect of it there are a lot of people who can't access to food all the time, and r- restaurants and individuals and companies are um, responsible for a lot of food waste. So I think it's important for us to be aware of these issues. And without further ado, um, I'm going to play the interview right now, and I hope you enjoy. We'll be back after the interview if you're listening to UCLA Radio. about you and your organization, Food Forward? Yeah, um, so my name is Celia Cody-Carice. Um, I am the Outreach and Communications Coordinator at Food Forward um, and a proud UCLA grad. Um, so Food Forward is a nonprofit organization based here in Southern California. Our mission is to fight hunger and prevent food waste by rescuing fresh surplus produce, connecting this abundance with people in need, and inspiring others to do the same. Um, We do this work because up to 40% of food grown in the U.S. is wasted, while millions of people in uh, Southern California don't have enough healthy food to eat. Um, And I can go into a bit of our backstory um, so we were founded in 2009 by Rick Namias, who's our founder and executive director. 
Um, and he was walking around his neighborhood in the San Fernando Valley and noticed that there were all these fruit trees that were just full of citrus and fruit, um, and a lot of it was just falling to the ground and rotting. Um, and he also noticed that there were all these people that uh, were, were needing more assistance, especially food assistance, as a result of the financial crisis in 2008. Um, so he felt there was you know, an obvious mismatch here, and um, he decided to do something about it. He got some friends and volunteers together to pick his neighbor's tangerine tree, and they donated it to uh, Sova, which is a local food pantry in the valley. And in that first year, they collected 100,000 pounds of fruit from backyard fruit trees in the neighborhood. Um, and since then, we're, we're now in our 10th year. We've grown exponentially. And we've uh, now collected about 100,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables per day. So um, went from 100,000 in a year to 100,000 a day. Um, and we donate 100% of this fresh produce to local hunger relief agencies, completely free of charge. Um, we all we still collect fruit from backyard fruit trees, and we also uh, collect produce from farmers markets and the wholesale produce market in downtown LA. Um, and just a, a couple of stats: um, since 2009, we've collected over 80 million pounds of fruits and vegetables, and we serve um, two million people across Southern California. That sounds amazing. It's in- incredible that you were able to collect that amount of um, produce. Um, I was wondering, why do you think this is a prevalent problem in um, Southern California and Los Angeles? Yeah, um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons that people struggle with food insecurity. It's a really kind of, it's one of those issues that um, affects a lot of people for many different reasons. But I think especially here in Los Angeles, you know, the cost of living here is really really high um you know we don't have rent control everywhere people's rent is really expensive people often don't live close to where they work so they have to pay a lot of money for gas and transportation costs so um a lot of times we just see that people are having to make really hard choices between whether they'll buy groceries or whether they're going to pay rent or pay their bills or you know fill up their car with gas um so i think that's kind of one of the reasons that it's such a prevalent issue here in los angeles yeah, that's completely true. And so you guys rescue these, uh, the fresh produce and connect this to the people in need. Uh, and with uh, which programs do you make this happen? Yeah, so um, we have three primary programs. Um, as I mentioned, we started with backyard fruit harvesting, which we still do this. Um, we collect we have about a thousand um, homeowners who donate their, you know, their orange trees, their uh, pear trees, their persimmons, whatever trees they have um, in LA and Ventura. We also uh, go to orchards, so we go to places like the Huntington Gardens in Pasadena, and we'll harvest their entire orchard, and we can get, you know, tens of thousands of pounds in a season. Um, as well as we do some farm gleaning up in Ventura County because there's a lot of you know small organic farms that will um, will have us out to collect whatever's left over. Um, we also go to farmers markets and collect surplus produce there. So in 2012 we started um, at the Santa Monica Wednesday Farmers Market, and we you know we worked with the team there, the market managers, and we went at the end of the market when. 
the farmers um, might have some produce that they just couldn't sell that day and won't be able to store it until the next market. And so uh, it'll often just get thrown out. Um, so we have our volunteers come out and they collect this surplus produce. Um, and we're in 25 farmers markets every week um, in LA and Ventura County total. Um, and then lastly, our, our other big program is um, our wholesale produce recovery program. So that started about five years ago. And um, we go every morning, really early in the morning, starting around like 3 a.m. Um, to the wholesale produce market, which is in downtown Los Angeles. Um, it's one of the largest produce markets in the country, and it's where a lot of grocery stores and restaurant chains and, you know, kind of big food businesses get their produce from. Um, it, and it operates at a really big scale, and there's a lot of food that goes to waste there because of cosmetic issues, because there's a shipment that, you know, just came in, and they don't need this next shipment anymore because, you know, they already bought you know, enough of whatever variety. Um, so we, we step in and we collect that um, produce that would otherwise go to waste and we get it to hunger relief agencies. Um, so that program is our biggest by volume. Um, we're able to recover and donate about 20, sorry, 2 million, <laughs> 2 million pounds of produce every month. Um, and lastly, our, our last kind of initiative is something called the Produce Pickup Program. So this is a newer initiative for us. We partner with community-based organizations, um, and we put on four of these events uh, every month where um, we're working with these organizations to provide produce for the community. So we kind of create a free marketplace with various varieties of fruits and vegetables, and people in the community can come and pick up whatever they want. It's totally free. We don't really ask any questions. It's open to the public. If you need food, you can come by and, and get whatever produce you want. Great. Um, as you mentioned before, food waste is a huge problem for mm -hmm. our society and for our environment. And I was wondering how we as citizens, and you also mentioned restaurants, and also restaurants can limit our food waste. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, food waste is a big problem. I, I mentioned that um, up to 40% of what we grow um, in the United States never makes it to someone's plate. Um, and that actually happens kind of at all stages along the um, production chain. So it happens at the farm. It happens in transporting the food. It happens in distribution and selling and purchasing everything. So it happens like there's a lot of different ways where we can stop it. Um, but actually, overall, individual consumers are responsible for the most food waste. Um, about 20% of food produced in the US is wasted at the consumer level. So that's about half of that 40% that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's a lot of different reasons this happens. People often buy too many groceries and then don't end up eating them all before they go bad. They may not know how to store food properly. Some people just, you know, kind of toss out their leftovers um, or, you know, or gets pushed to the back of the fridge and you forget about it. Um, and there's also other reasons, you know, that are a little more beyond our control, but that educate where education comes into play. For example, um, date labels are something that a lot of people um, will kind of be confused by because there's really no regulatory standards. So labels like sell by or use by or best by they're not actually regulated by the FDA um, and it's really more of a marketing 
tactic by the food companies than it is any sort of like legitimate way to know if something is good or not. Um, so we always tell people to just do the taste and smell test to see if food is good because a lot of times it's good even after um, the use by date. Um, so yeah, I think that there's a lot that we can do to sort of educate ourselves. Um, and I can talk a little bit more about the environmental impact if, if that makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally does. And I was going to say, I feel like education is a huge part of it because I, even when it comes to recycling, I didn't know that we couldn't recycle everything that we think we can like even food packaging we can't actually recycle that and I only recently found out about that so education I completely agree with you on that it it is a huge um part and I think it makes a difference totally yeah no the recycling thing is really interesting because even at our office we I mean we're all pretty like environmentally conscious people Mm -hmm. and um one of my coworkers. Uh, used to be an environmental science teacher and she like at our staff meeting one time she was just like yeah I kind of noticed that um, we're not really recycling like properly (laughs) and she gave us all like a lesson on how to sort our recycling (laughs) so it's kind of something that you have to kind of seek out for yourself because it's not like you know anyone teaches you this like in school or anything Um, yeah and it also just differs where you are so Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but yeah so in terms of uh, the environment and climate change um Food waste has a really large environmental footprint. Um, I think a lot of times people, you know, there's a lot of different ways in which it's harmful to the environment. Um, So for starters, all of the food that we grow that doesn't get eaten requires a ton of resource inputs. Um, You know, for example, about 20 to 30% of all water used for U.S. agriculture is used to grow food that is wasted. So we're basically just like pouring out 30% of all the water we use and just like dumping it and not getting any benefit from it. Um, About 20 to 30% of cropland is also attributed to wasted food. Um, And then, you know, you also have fertilizer, labor, transportation, fuel, all those things. Um, So that's a big piece of it. Um, And then when we talk about like greenhouse gases and the climate crisis, um, when food is just thrown out when people, you know, throw out their food into their garbage can, um, it obviously goes to sit in a landfill um, where it can't decompose as it normally would and it releases really potent methane gas, which is, um, like, much more powerful than carbon dioxide, stays in the atmosphere for longer and is just very, has very intense warming effects. And this is a pretty big impact because about 21% of um, municipal solid waste is food, which is the largest of any category. So we throw out a lot of food and it ends up in a landfill and it contributes quite a lot to climate change. Um, a lot of estimates place food waste as contributing between eight to 11% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Which when you think about like the transportation sector is responsible for 14% um, or industry is responsible for 21%, you know, about 10% is just food waste, which doesn't mm-hmm. even like contribute anything to the economy. <laughs> like it's just kind of a flaw in our system that's creating all of these really harmful um, environmental impacts. And if you, if, if anyone wants more information, I definitely recommend checking out um, 
the NRDC, National Resources Defense Council, they have this report called Wasted, um, which kind of was the first like major study into the environmental impacts of food waste. Um, and it's a really great resource to learn more about that. Thank you. Um, I'll definitely yeah. check it out. Um, and now that people hear about these numbers and all this information, and we do want to limit our food waste, where can we find you if you want to donate some produce? Yeah, um, so you can check us out at foodforward.org. Um, that's our website, and that's a really great way to kind of see how you can get involved. Um, you can figure out, you can, on their, on our website, you can see how to donate your produce if you have fruit trees um, or, or, you know, a vegetable garden and you want to donate your surplus produce. Um, we also have lots of volunteer opportunities if people are interested in getting involved. Um, we have basically volunteer opportunities every day of the week. Um, we have hundreds of events a month at farmer's markets, at um, backyard fruit picks. Um, so there's a lot of ways to get involved. Um, so check out our website. Um, we have a volunteer calendar that uh, has all of our events, and it's really easy to sign up. Oh, that sounds great. Um, and as an organization, this is a pretty big responsibility to take on. So I was wondering what kind of struggles you face. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that's interesting is, you know, we, we're a pretty small, um, organization. We only have about 30 staff. We're almost all volunteer powered, um, and, you know, we're able to mitigate millions of pounds of food waste, but there's just so much waste occurring in our system that we're, one of our issues is just capacity of just being able to get to it all. Um, so this year, actually, we opened a um, wholesale uh, produce warehouse in Bells so that we can, could better kind of coordinate and store donations from the wholesale produce market. Um, and basically, before that, we were only operating with big, you know, 18-wheeler trucks. So we were having to kind of collect all of our donations in the trucks and then get it out to agencies right away. Um, and this allows us to store and accept a lot more donations. Um, so that's, you know, one way that we've been able to increase our capacity. Um, but we also, you know, we have so many people uh, in Southern California who are really excited about our work and want to donate their fruit. Um, but we need volunteers to coordinate all of those harvests and pick all that fruit. So at, uh, kind of our busy season, the citrus season is um, kind of winter, so like January through March and April. So around, you know, in our busy season this year, we had over 150 fruit trees that were ready to be harvested, but we didn't have enough volunteers to lead those events. So we're always looking for more people who want to get involved, who can spare, you know, a couple hours every month. Um, and become a pick leader, who are folks who um, lead the harvest and, you know, um, make sure that volunteers know what to do and that they're, you know, getting all of the fruit that they can. Um, so, you know, we're really just like, there's a lot of food out there to be, <laughs> to be collected. Um, and we just, we just need more people power to, to get it done. Absolutely. And how... Can, I mean, you talked a little bit about this, but how can we be more informed about these issues? Because um, you said uh, you needed volunteers, and I feel like if 
people are more informed and aware, then there will be more mobilization to help. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that, you know, once you, I personally found that once you kind of start learning about these issues, it's kind of hard to like unsee the food Mm -hmm. waste happening around you. Um, you know, if you start, once you know about all these fruit trees, when you like drive around LA, especially if you like are in the Valley or the San Gabriel Valley, you'll just start to see fruit trees everywhere. And you're like, I wonder who's, if that family's eating that fruit. Like, (laughs) um, it kind of starts to just be something, you know, you can't unsee. Um, so I think that one thing is just kind of paying attention to what's going on in our food system and, and where waste is occurring. Um, and you know, there's obviously a lot of really great, um, news and, and blogs and everything being written about food, food waste, food insecurity, the food justice movement. There's a lot of great local organizations that are fighting for food justice. Um, and I think another thing is just to like talk to people. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, at UCLA, um, you know, at the colleges around the country, there are so many students that are, you know, basically having to choose between paying their tuition, paying their rent and paying for food. And, you know, it's, it's a really hard decision. And a lot of students are, are ending up not able to, you know, have enough food, have enough money to buy enough food to be healthy. And when you're in college, you know, your primary focus should be learning and getting experience and, you know, having this like amazing life changing experience and not, you know, am I going to be able to buy a pack of ramen so I can just Mm -hmm. have enough calories for the day. Um, So I think, you know, there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of stigma around hunger and around food insecurity. Mm -hmm. And it's really something that touches so many people. I mean, just talking about college students, there's a a couple studies that came out um, recently that showed that almost half of all college students across the country had struggled with food insecurity. So it's just this really wide reaching issue and I think that um I think that one thing that's important is just to talk about it more and you know not not make people feel stigmatized or any shame around it and just make sure that people are aware of the resources that are around them make sure they're aware of you know uh, that they have a support system um and yeah I think that's a really important thing to to be informed and to um make sure that people in our community have the support they need to live a healthy life yeah thank you so much for um talking to us do you do you have any other important um things that you wanted to say um no thank you for having me um i guess i'll just plug all of our yes <laughs> all please. Of our things one more time so you can go to foodforward.org um to check us out, you can go to foodforward.org slash volunteer to um, see our events calendar and sign up to volunteer. Um, we're always looking for event leaders if you want to lead Backyard Harvest or lead um, Farmer's Market Cleans. You can find that information um, on that volunteer page as well. Um, if you want to stay in touch with us, you can uh, follow us on social media. We're at Food Forward on Instagram and at Food Forward LA on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and we also have a really awesome um, newsletter that goes out every other week called Fresh Juice, and you can sign up for that on our website uh, if you want to stay kind of up to date with volunteer events we're doing, food events we're doing, um, and just kind of food justice and food 
uh, waste issues in general. So yeah, that's all of our that's all of our info. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much again. Thank you. It was a pleasure uh, being on and thanks for having me. Thank you again to Celia for doing this interview with us and to Food Forward for all their hard work um, for our community. And um, while I was talking to her, I was wondering um, how many UCLA students are actually affected by this. Um, so I did a little bit of research and I found a Daily Bruin article um, that said, according to the 2018 uh, UC undergraduate experience survey, about 37% of UCLA students experience some level of food insecurity, including 20% who experience very low food security. Um, the UC defined very low food security as experience in disrupted eating patterns and reduced food intake. And to get more information about this, I would now want like to um, involve Selena into this discussion um, and just ask you guys about what you do and how you tackle this issue. Hi, um, so <coughs> with Swipe Out Hunger, um, our main program is our quarterly swipes drive um, in which we collect donations of meal swipes from students who live on the hill. And so these swipes get converted into meal vouchers um, it's like a one-to-one -one ratio, so people who are able to collect those meal vouchers from the ECRT are able to like go into B plate and have like a good meal. And it's not like the three dollar and seventy-seven cent ASUCLA meal vouchers. It's actually a good meal. And so we collect about um, on average about five thousand swipes per quarter, and this is all swipes that would otherwise just be going to waste because. Um, of course, meal swipes don't carry over um, after the quarter ends, and so these 5,000 or so swipes um, are getting converted from like um, swipes that would otherwise go to waste into meals for students who need them. Great. And um, what, how has your work um, impacted the community? Right. Um, so I'm not sure of the exact percentages, but um, with the ECRT program, um, ECRT stands for Economic Crisis Response Team, um, students, are, students who don't live on the Hill are able to apply for up to 20 to 30 swipes per quarter um, from like this fund. And um, they're able to kind of know that um, they have a meal to go to after a super stressful day at school. Um, because food insecurity, um, it affects like more than just a physical level. It's about like the mental strain and that added stress of not having the certainty that you'll have an adequate and nutritious meal and um, giving students a little bit more security um, helps not, um, as I said, not just on a physical level, but it also gives students a bit more peace of mind um, when they're going from class to class because, you know, there's that added comfort of knowing that there there will at least be something to go to at the end of the day. Yeah, thank you. And 
I know you wanted to talk a little bit about food justice, Breezy, if you want to yeah. get in on this. Um, I just think that when you're talking about food insecurity, it's always important to remember that a lot of times that goes hand in hand with different communities being food deserts or not having access to healthy groceries and only being in places where you're surrounded by fast food or if if that and also remembering where your food comes from who's picking those foods and a lot of times especially here in California it's up in the Central Valley and who has access to those foods so are the people who are growing your foods and picking them are they being given wages that then allow them to take part in that as well and have sustainable and healthy food options or you know things like that yeah completely agree and I also agree with what you were saying about fast food because even when I look around campus the um, apart from the dining halls which are also kind of questionable um, everywhere I see more fast food um, you know stands rather than healthier options and yes Panda Express is cheaper but it's kind of this I don't I don't want to get all Marxist on this but it's kind of the system that makes it cheap because we don't support nutrition and we don't support um, you know healthy lifestyles for um, you know people who can't always access it as well there's this kind of um, perception that healthy food is expensive and it is because it's it's kind of marketed that way, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I was I was wondering uh, what you think since you I feel like you interact more with students, so I was wondering what you had to say about this, Selena. Right. Yeah. Um, the issue with um, economic status with food insecurity is super important and. Um, like it's tough to, um, hmm. like when you think about like deciding whether you're gonna spend your money on healthy food or fast food, it's like sometimes it's just like a calories to money ratio, and it becomes a choice of do I spend a dollar fifty on a meal or that like might not be healthy, or do I spend like five or six or seven dollars on something with vegetables and so often the choice like um like the problem of nutrition just gets kind of pushed to the back burner because what students need is food now and it's satiation now and like and that like puts a strain not only on physical health but also mental health because um like more and more studies are showing that um nutrition plays such a big factor in mental health and how students are able to get through the day. And so when students aren't able to prioritize nutrition, um, that just like, that just takes a toll in every aspect of a student's life on campus. Yeah, and before we continue with our discussion, we have another guest joining us right now. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, hi. Uh, My name is Ashley. I am a climate science student here at UCLA. Sorry that I got here late. I was at a but, um, yeah, thank you for inviting me to have a really good discussion. Thank you. Um, 
yeah we sorry we're having a little bit of problem with your mic i think um would you guys mind sharing the mic no (laughs) okay um sorry about that everyone we had a little technical difficulty one of our mics is not working um but yeah and um yeah, we were actually just talking about um, food justice a little bit, if you wanted to get in more in that. Sure. Um, so I don't know what you guys have talked about. Have you guys, like, defined food justice? Not clearly. So we would love to sure. do that. Um, okay, so different people define it differently. There are a lot of criticisms of definitions, too, but usually it's revolving around the idea of uh, everyone having equal access to healthy food, whether that's to grow it, to process it, to uh, consume it. Um, There's some definitions that prefer to consider it a participatory process and like emphasize that communities are participating in it, in their uh, relationship with food. Nutrition is definitely a huge part of it um, because yeah, it's endless to talk about how nutrition can affect your life. Um, so, like, for example, some food justice projects would be, like, getting healthy food in public schools. I feel like sometimes these kinds of conversations can be really theoretical or, like, just saying, like, having access. So I want to hopefully talk about some concrete ways that uh, food justice can be enacted by you and others while I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and I think it's food justice definitely comes with social justice because it's, you know, it's basically a way to produce, distribute, and eat um, without it being affected by systematic um, inequality or oppression um, regarding, like, race, gender, um, class ability or anything else and um yeah I remember actually reading this book called sexual politics of meat and it talked about how in certain um, areas around the world uh, women had less access to food because meat was perceived as such a masculine food that their first priority was to put the food in front of their husbands so if and if they didn't have enough food then all the food would go to the husband and they would not have enough um, nutrition to feed themselves. And it's just, it's kind of that problem. And I think, um, I think the first step is us realizing where does my food come from? Am I doing enough to appreciate these people who grow my food? And am I doing enough uh, to appreciate the people who prepare the food? When you go to a restaurant, are they earning enough wage to sustain themselves. Yeah, and I think to that point about, um, just to go back quickly, the idea of like systemic mm-hmm. problems, um, that's why some people reject the term food desert or food, or food swamp because they consider it more of a food apartheid because it, uh, the idea of a food desert almost makes it sound like it just naturally happened that way, but like there are so many systems in place that create food deserts. Also, um, I feel like food desert is a common term, but just in case the listener hasn't heard, a food desert is like uh, one mile squared of 
um, an urban area in which there's no healthy grocery store. So sometimes it's called a food swamp because there's there are food options. They're just like very unhealthy. Um, but yeah, that systemic. And sorry, also going back to that you need to know where your food comes from. Yeah, so some people in the movement have uh, decided to go headfirst into farming themselves. So that's one way to combat food justice. Interesting. Um, have you ever done that? Just like out of curiosity, have you ever tried farming? Um, I have like a black thumb, so <laughs> <laughs> no. But I really enjoy this one activist named Amber Tam, T-A-M-M. -M, mm -hmm. And she's a black woman from New York. And she has a lot of really interesting pieces about food justice, like things I'd never considered, like the idea that like, if you join the farming movement, a lot of the times it's really isolating. Like you have to choose between your culture or going and um, trying to connect to where your food is coming from. And so one way that like, or one challenge I suppose that we haven't figured out is like how to integrate uh, farming more into society aside from like community gardens, which isn't always available to everyone because you need to have the land and the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. Going on that, though, I think it's also important to realize that everyone, you could take small steps to kind of incorporate farming practices in your life. So like for me, I live in a small apartment with a bunch of other roommates, but we have a tomato plant in the living room. And so like we grow tomatoes in a potted area. Or we have peppers on the windowsill and it's like just small things that you could do like that. Um, or asking your landlord like, hey, there's a bush outside my window. Can I plant something there? Like, um, And a lot of times people are really open to the idea. But also I realize that not everybody has time or access to do things like that. But there's always options out there to make it something that you could be more connected with or start to realize like, hey, this takes a lot of effort and time and growing food is something that you don't normally see on an everyday basis because it's so convenient to be able to go to a grocery store or to a corner market. But then once you partake in that yourself, you start, you begin to appreciate more the effort and the time that goes into it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And um, I started doing this little, I actually haven't started yet. I'm like planning to do it. I'm just getting the equipment ready. But um, I found a way to compost food without um, having like those huge compost like boxes and stuff in my apartment because that's not really feasible for me. But I've, I've noticed that there are a lot of compost bins around campus. So what I decided to, to do now is put a little bowl in my freezer and then put all the food scraps and, you know, all the waste in that bowl and when I'm going to campus, I just fill it up. I, I'll just fill it up into little brown bags and then throw it in the compost because those brown bags can be composted. So that was my little idea. And if everyone, if like anyone wants to do it with me, um, I'll, I'll be I'll be happy to share some tips and tricks. Um, but yeah, <laughs> That's so good. That's so ingenious. I tried to do composting and I didn't put it in the freezer though, but I feel like that's the thing that I should have done. Yeah, because then it might like smell. Yeah, it would <laughs> be very gross. Like I came mm -hmm. home from something and there were maggots in my compost. Like, yeah. I laid eggs. And, um, 
But I did learn that, like, even if composting stations are unavailable, like, you can still even do better than just throwing things away by using the green bin. Mm, Like, the green mm -hmm. bin, it's still a mystery to me where the green bin goes. (laughs) Like, I really want to learn more about waste, um, as in where it's going. But the green bin, you can put any kind of food scrap that's um, unprocessed. So, like, if you have, like, an avocado pit or, like, as long as you haven't seasoned it or cooked it, you can use the green bin, which I think is sometimes more ubiquitous. But, like, Mm -hmm. we're lucky to have campus compost bins. Yeah, um, exactly. And um, while we were talking about that, I was also thinking, I found this information on Food Food Forward's um, website. But um, it said that, Reproduce so much food that if we prevented just 25% of global food waste, which totals at 1.3 billion tons annually, we could feed all 870 million people suffering from chronic undernourishment. So it just goes to show that we do have enough food for everyone. It's just that some individuals, unfortunately, and some communities are not not in are just not privileged to access it, which sounds really unfair and, like, dumb. It just angers me when I think of it. But, um, and while I was was thinking about that and we were talking about that, there's also the fact that now global warming is a huge issue and that, um, you know, just, just the fact that temperatures are rising, sea levels are rising, and there's extreme... Um, precipitation which is really bad for agriculture it just makes it harder to provide food for everyone and yeah it 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 seems it it seems a little worrying um yeah (laughs) yeah i mean climate change is going to be a huge problem with agriculture Mm -hmm. um yeah it's just yeah i um I was wondering if you guys know of any initiatives about how, like, you know, how we can um, combat against, like, global warming in terms of food waste or food justice. (laughs) I mean, my first thought was just the vegan movement. Because, like, so much of uh, greenhouse gas emissions come from meat and dairy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that's not exactly what you're looking for. I think that's kind that kind of I think you're kind of right though because I know that a lot of even the United Nations is calling for you know veganism to um fight against global warming and I read today that a farmer is actually um just shutting down his like cow farms because he wants to grow almonds now and I know the almonds are kind of also problematic because they yeah. like they waste a lot of water but it's I, I guess it's still a step because they have less carbon dioxide emissions and you know less um less water uh, usage yeah and i think um especially it's important to know what exactly is being produced um during the production of things like um beef dairy um other meats because it's not just like um like what you can see it's um, there's deforestation, there's the destruction of habitats, um, water usage is a big one, uh, methane production. 
And so I think like going vegan, like the word vegan is super scary to a lot of people. Um, I'm personally vegetarian, but um, I think that one step that anyone could take is just to cut down on beef and dairy because those are the largest um, contributors to carbon footprint. And also like if you think about it this way, if everyone did a meatless Monday or just meatless, like one meatless day of the week, it would be like a billion people on earth like going vegetarian. And so I think just um, small steps that anyone can take to reduce um, your own personal impact, like that even small steps could um, add up to a big impact. I feel like I totally agree. Um, I'm personally vegan. The I remember writing a lot of papers about this over summer, and my one kind of question was what to do with like culturally appropriate food, because like part of the food justice definition is mm-hmm. like for it to be culturally appropriate. And so for some people that means local. Um, sometimes the idea of always saying like eat local doesn't really take into consideration immigrants who like want to have that connection to their culture. Mm-hmm. Um, And so my one exception for veganism was, like, unless it's culturally appropriate. But I've just been doing some other research, and, like, I think that, yeah, a huge part of it is, like, progress, not perfection, and just to, like, eat less beef and dairy. But I think that there are ways of doing some cultural dishes in a modified way to, like, maintain the culture while... Anyways, I just think the idea of culturally appropriate food is really interesting. It is. Um, Especially that was something that me and my friend were talking about. Um, My friend is Japanese, her name is Rio, and she was talking about how dumb it was to have vegan sushi because it basically, like, it, 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 you know, it's not, um, it's not sushi because sushi is about the fish and about the freshness and the taste of the fish. Um, Traditional sushi that people usually eat in Japan are not California rolls. They're just, you know, rice and sushi, like the fish on top. So she was just telling me how it's not appropriate to, like, have a bunch of, like, vegetables, like, inside a rice, you know, roll. And I was thinking, like, but, like, for me, having um, having just, like, one fresh really quality organic mushroom is as important as having that fish on top of the rice. So I didn't really understand what the issue was because I believe that I, as a vegan, I believe that we can transform food and, you know, um, I, I kind of like look at food as something that can be, um, you know, that can be, uh, you know, break out of their traditional chains and that can be developed and evolved. So I didn't see what the problem was. But then when someone has a cultural um, and emotional bond with a certain food, which most of us have, it's it that opinion is also very valid and very important because that is her food. And I don't have a say to decide or, you know, to tell her what her food is. So that was that was also one that is also one debate um, to think of. Um, but yeah, also when um, when we were talking about um, cultural 
appropriation, I did a little bit of research, and apparently to like address the impacts of climate change, there are a lot of like technological um, fixes, such as like genetically engineering crops, or um, you know restoring soil for like better agricultural production. Um, but um, food forward indicates that reducing food waste is a very big um, solution that because for um, for the global north because um, it's more developed um, they say that education and just you know reducing food food waste in like consumer and on a retail level is very important. But for the global South, they just need the infrastructure and the technology um, because they don't have refrigeration in some countries. And that's a huge part of why that food goes away. So it's more on, um, so it's more of, um, in the harvest and storage stage where food goes to waste. And I think that this goes to another, this goes to like, you know, um, as a summary for our entire discussion, but educating ourselves about this issue um, and being aware of the situations outside of our own little periphery is very important to tackle food injustice, food security, and food waste. Yeah, um, adding on to your previous point about, like, genetically modified crops and things like that, um, there have been a lot of like interesting technologies that are trying to um, cut down an environmental footprint, such as like um, like the impossible meat thing and like lab grown meat. And I think those are both like really cool movements. But I think it's also important to consider that both of these like initiatives still are producing new like putting energy into producing like food when um I think like a separate but um, like I, I would almost say more important way to like cut down an environmental impact is just to like redistribute what we already have because when we're thinking about okay so a Beyond Meat burger takes like 1% of the water um, like that's totally cool and fantastic but um, what are we doing with the food that we already have because um, like one of the programs that Swipe Out Hunger started was called Bruindine. Um, we started it with the Hunger Project and Bruin Shelter, and um, we're trying to make it like every weekday. But it like takes food from um, like leftover food after dinner from the dining halls and distribute just distributes it for free to um, apartment dwellers. And I think like that's one way that we can put our energy into redistributing what we already have so it doesn't go to waste. Exactly. Um, I think you're completely right. I went to a talk last week, um, and I agree with that, totally. Um, they also elaborated on like reasons why nonprofits sometimes can't redistribute the food, which mm -hmm. I thought were interesting. Um, I took notes. <laughs> yes, please um, share. And also for the source, it was Urban Harvester, the woman mm -hmm. behind that. And a big one was refrigeration, um, short supply of refrigerators and freezers at nonprofits. But also to summarize, this was like about why nonprofits have to turn away food. 
Mm. Um, agency hours, like having like small budgets and like limited volunteers. Um, there was the thing with the health department having like old outdated policies about donation and like people being afraid that they're going to get sued. Although like in reality, that's like never happened where somebody's like sued because of um, expired or like nearly expired food when donated. Mm-hmm. It's like literally never happened. Um, but there are policies against that. And then there's also like no incentive for food donors to repackage all the food because like it does take work for them to mm-hmm. like prepare it. Um, but there are also a lot of benefits of for vendors of redistributing food that uh, would otherwise go to waste. So yes, like it gives more awareness to them about like how much they're wasting. Um, it limits unnecessary hours of labor to break down that packaging. Um, you can also have like a tax deductible donation, so it's not a full loss. And then also, this one felt important to me, the employees don't feel guilty. Like otherwise employees just like throwing food in the trash, like mm-hmm. it's not good for your health um, to think about that, like the morale. Mm-hmm. Also hotel food was another thing she brought up that like really? so much food goes to waste at hotels. Yeah. Oh wow. Yes. And also like all those like luncheons that happen that like leave Oh, like food that's not even opened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this one was interesting. There was also another speaker that was like all about farmers markets, which is another really important, um, or another way, I guess I would say, to connect to where you're getting your food. Yeah, um, exactly. I wish we had more time to talk about this uh, and get into like the farmers market and whatnot, but. We're unfortunately running out of time. Before we go, thank you, Selena, for coming and talking to us about Sweat for Hunger. Do you want to plug in your socials? Where can people find you? Uh, yeah. Um, so our Instagram is UCLA Swipe Out Hunger. Um, we also, um, I also am the admin of a Free Food at UCLA Facebook group. Um, um, it we post about like where we where people can find free food on campus, and um, to any people who are living on the hill, definitely come check us out week ten because we do swipe drive every quarter. Thank you, and thank you, Ashley, for coming and talking to us, and also thank you to my intern Breezy. You'll be seeing more of her um, next episodes, but um, also thank you again to Celia from Food Forward. Um, for talking to us, talking to me um, last week. Um, yeah, I hope that this episode kind of gave everyone a different perspective on how we eat and, you know, connect with our food. It is a very um, important issue that, you know, I don't take lightly. And I hope we can all educate ourselves and be more aware of where our food comes from. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a special interview. Um, you should follow our Instagram, um, themenu.radio, to get all the intel about our next interviews. And we'll be back next week, Tuesday, 11 a.m. on uclaradio.com. This is Belize, and this was The Menu.